And I am not joined this week by Ryan Sheely. He's at a conference. The downside of being an academic is that you occasionally have to do scholarship. Uh, though that's not what you do at a, sco- a conference. You go, you know, hobnob with your fellow wizards, as the Wizard of Oz said at the end of the first uh, L. Frank Baum Oz book. So uh, Sheely's off hobnobbing, but I, never fear. I am joined by his, his much taller uh, counterpart on OTI, Jordan Stokes. What's much taller, on? much taller, slightly more bearded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, slightly more hirsute. Um, Jordan uh, is also an academic, but in the field of in the field of musicology, and not in uh, and not in political science. But you know, couldn't be better actually for what we're going to talk about today, huh? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm really happy to be here. You know, because I'm not usually on this podcast, and I am sometimes on the other podcasts, there was one thing I wanted to say right off the, right off the bat, okay. uh, which was, shit, piss, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, tits, Omar dies. <laughs> I know. It's, it's great. It's a great podcast for that, isn't it? Um, well, hey, uh, glad you're here. There was no Gossip Girl this week, so the only thing that's on the, uh, on the cognitive agenda, if you will, is the... The uh, Power of Madonna episode of Glee. And you wrote um, a post about that for overthinking it. The, uh, you know, what, I don't, I don't know what to call it, L- like classic overthinking it, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have audience members on the podcast that don't read the site and, you know, vice versa, obviously. So um, why don't you recap uh, just a little bit what, what you were saying about, the, uh, about that episode and especially the crazy awesome sex montage at the end of it? Yeah, I mean, because I, I spent to the beginning of my post kind of talking about like, oh, well, Glee's back on the air and just doing kind of the way that you have to if you're going to talk about a TV show. You can't just pick out one scene and unpack it. You have to first sort of identify yourself as a fan and go into, oh, you know, this episode wasn't as good as some of the past episodes, but it was still a pretty good episode. But yeah, let's talk about just the interesting stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the really the really cool thing about that episode was this Super elaborate sequence about, uh, I don't know, right about two-thirds of the way through, so sort of in your your classic uh, climax location, where three of the characters who had been kind of hemming and hawing about maybe losing their virginity, uh, seeing Madonna's like a virgin, and sort of cuts back and forth between them, um, and you're given to understand that they are all losing their virginities to like these people that they have selected for the purpose. And what I found interesting about this is that it's... um, it was all so choreographed, and I go into how it's, it's like it's choreographed as a dance because it is a musical number and they are actually dancing. And then the filmmaking is really choreographed because it cuts back and forth between the couples so that, uh, I mean, it's not like you ever actually lose track of who is who. but or, they're all or going who's th- with who. Yeah, right, right. But they're all going through the, the same motions and the outfits are actually similar enough. Uh, and like they'll they'll do a lot of uh, 
sort of cutting on motion where somebody will jump in the air and then it'll cut to another couple and you'll see their counterpart fall back down to the ground. You're, actually, you're, so the, cut, the cutting pattern emphasizes similarities among the, th- the, the three couples rather than differences. Yeah, it, it's, it, uh, it emphasizes similarities uh, between, between the three couples more than it emphasizes giving you a clear idea of what space you're in at any given time. Sure. Like it, it violates continuity editing in order to un- underline those similarities, yeah. which is really cool. I mean, it's a sort of continuity editing. It's like cutting on the motion, but it's cutting to another person's motion. Right, I mean? right. It's, it's like it's continuity editing for an action that's impossible because they aren't all actually in the same place. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, sure. And then the uh, the other important difference is that Santana is in the boy role in the uh, – let's just unpack what the three couples are. It's it's Emma, Mr. Shu, uh, uh, Emma Will, uh, uh, Je- Jesse St. James and Rachel, and um, Santana and Finn. Yeah. And one thing, I actually went back and watched the sequence again after I wrote that post. Yeah. And what's really cool is that – uh, which choreography role Santana plays actually flips back and forth. So sometimes you'll see her like, you know, the girl, what the girl, if the girl is on the left, it'll cut and the girl will stay on the left. But there are also times where it's like, who is the seducer and who is the awkward virgin? Right. So it'll like, it'll cut from Jesse St. James to Santana and they will sure. be like making the same gesture. And that yeah. was cool. I thought that she was always, I, I mean, I guess like just in terms of the, the physical positioning, certain things have to happen, but she, she always seemed to me to be the dominant one in that pair. So that there's, there's kind of a gender expectation being violated there. Mm-hmm. Right. Being, right. Being subverted, I guess. Yeah, I mean, and you can, well, it's interesting, right? What's the gender expectation? Unpack that, to, to use the lingo. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll cash this out. Um, yeah. the, the gender expectation um, that uh, virginity is uh, more important for a girl than it is for a boy, for a teenage girl than it is for a teenage boy, and so that your expectation would be that the 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 boys would be cavalier about it, or the, you know the men in in Shu's case, um, and that it, that it would be the 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 women who had sort of you know guarded their precious flower with all the uh, um, you, you know with all this kind of energy and um, and vigilance, and that you know it it would be the the woman sort of um, deciding to give in to this urge or something, you know, or something like that. Um, and that in, in Santana's case, it's she who is the, the sort of, um, what the, the experienced partner in the, in the dyad. And it's, it's Finn who is the kind of, who is the, the sort of blushing, blushing bride, if you will. And kind of the interesting thing about it is that that is then the significant difference, right? Rather than male, female, right? Because you could totally imagine a situation where a, a virginal guy um, is in the role of really trying very hard to seduce a woman who has a bit more experience. I mean, yeah, you look at American John, Pie, right? Sure. Like, or John, John Hughes made, you know, 50 movies about that. Yeah, right, right. So this is, uh, I mean, when you say that the the traditional gender role is being subverted, yes, but in terms of the traditional understanding of what virginity is all about, right? It's uh, it's kind of reinforcing the dominant paradigm, I guess, which is that until you've had sex, you are kind of you know a delicate flower, and once that's done, you are uh, well. 
Yeah, that well, and that, that I mean, the point that you make at the end of the uh, the point that you make at the end of the article is that because the whole thing is revealed to be a dream sequence, the the sequence ends up supporting the idea that that really it is only the women for whom virginity matters because you know Finn can kind of go through with it. Uh, Finn can kind of go through with it. Um, without really loss of reputation, but it's, it's Rachel and Emma who kind of, who have to face, um, who have to face the, the dire implications if they do go through with it. You know, there's a, there's a quotation from Freud from, from one of his letters where he contrasts, uh, a European, he contrasts American flirtation unfavorably with a European love affair. That is to say, he, he was writing, describing something, I forget the context now, but he said, this reminds me of an American love affair where everyone is comforted by the knowledge that nothing's actually going to, to happen, as opposed yeah. to uh, as, uh, an American flirtation, that is, as opposed to a European love affair where one must always keep in mind the, the, uh, the dire consequences. And that's kind of an American-European thing, you know, for... I don't know, 150 years, right? And it's all over Henry James and it's all over like Edith Wharton. The Age of Innocence is about that, actually. Like the the, the woman who goes off to Europe and come, comes back, Michelle Pfeiffer in the movie, you know, is a very dangerous, destabilizing threat to the Daniel Day-Lewis character. But I, di- but I digress. So, you know, it, it's um, like Santana's a lost cause, you know, and Finn's virginity doesn't matter. So they're the couple who can actually consummate. Ra- and uh, Emma and Rachel still have to kind of still have to kind of guard their flower and in in what i imagine is the uh inevitable coupling of rachel finn somewhere down the line right it is going to matter that she saved it for him and it's not really going to matter that he didn't save it for her though he has lied though he's lied about and that's actually something we should get to i guess yeah. You know, what's interesting, though, is because someone took me to task for this in the comments. I think it was Gab who pointed out rightly that Finn in the aftermath, Finn is like kind of upset about it. Yeah. You know? Like he, he feels he feels bad for having done it and he lies about it, as you're saying. And we should get to that more later. Um, but I still think, though, that it's reinforcing the idea that it only matters for girls. It's not within the universe of the show, but it's sort of like in the take a step back and look at what the writers are doing. Emma and Rachel need to stay virginal so that they are like valuable tokens yeah. for uh, for Mr. Shu and for Finn right. to to capture. Because you if know? they weren't, if they weren't, they couldn't uh, they couldn't function as a MacGuffin, really. Yeah, yeah. That like uh, the the idea of them actually going and it's a little weird when you look at Emma, right? Because she she is there with Mr. Shu, right? Yes. But the idea of her saying, you know what? This isn't going to change anything about our relationship, but I would just kind of like to have sex because, you know, as a as an adult, that's something I can choose to do. That's not sufficient. It needs to be something where, like, he sweeps her off her feet, probably in the the finale of this season. You know, after they win sectionals, they'll uh, they'll go to a, a hot air balloon somewhere and do the deed. Do you think that this is? Wait, is it regionals or is it sectionals? At the at the is the next thing. Oh, I guess they just regionals. Did, they did yeah. sectionals. Yeah, they're so going to regionals. Think, do you think that this is this do, the end of the semester is going to be regionals, or do you think it's going to be nationals? I kind of think that they're going to build up to regionals, and then nationals will be next season. You know, presuming there is, or that, or that they lose to Vocal Adrenaline and set up like you know set up a season two where it's like, well, how can we get uh, uh, you know how can we how can we get on top of this this show choir powerhouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that could be too. Yeah, I don't know though because well, that would be a real downer. 
Yeah, that would be a real downer. You know, I heard some. I, I heard just this week. I can't believe I didn't know this before. Apparently, the original screenplay that Glee is all based on is, is called Glum, <laughs> and it's like a, it's it's like a totally like nightmare world version of it with people like drug addiction and students sleeping with teachers and like suicide, all kinds of uh, kinds of nonsense. That- it's kind of the Heather's. It's the Heather's of Glee Club movies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wonder if I wonder if that's been leaked on the internet a- anywhere. I'm surprised you don't see that more. You know, scripts being leaked on the yeah, uh, the old versions of scripts being leaked on the internet because once you know, once something goes into to development and is is like revised all the shit by two or three writers, right? It, it's probably not worth reading anymore. But like the original thing that with the germ of the idea that is still interesting, I- I'm surprised we don't see more of that online. Yeah, you'd think, right? There's certainly enough people that would be happy to pass it around. And everything, yeah, and everything gets gets. Uh, I guess you can still keep a secret in in the internet, um, in the internet age. But okay, so this, you know, this is something in the article that like. Uh, we, t- we talk a lot about, uh, on this show and I know because you listen to it because you, you often, <laughs> I, I know, you know, because, <laughs> because you, you, you listen to it because you're often, uh, embellishing or agreeing or disagreeing or taking the task, things that we say, um, and, uh, or elaborating on and, and, and so on. We talk about, uh, a struggle, uh, about legitimacy and in gossip girl it's it's about the legitimacy of social position and who wields power uh in in glee it's it's somewhat somewhat more obscure but you talk about in your article you talk about legitimate and illegitimate reasons for wanting to lose your virginity the legitimate one being uh you know we're very much in love and and we want to and you know he's going to sweep me up off my feet and it's all sort of roses and valentine's day cards and the illegitimate reasons being being uh, about physical desire or about social position or about um, uh, 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 power. Yeah, or you know what? Even physical desire is okay if you're in a particular kind of movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, first, I, we should bracket this and say, when I say that these are legitimate reasons, I'm not talking about real life. I'm talking about of course. the way that entertainment presents it to us. Yeah. I, I think that when you look at like the John Hughes people um, and something like American Pie, they're having sex just because you really want to have sex or you're deeply physically attracted to someone yep. is acceptable. But doing it for, for social positioning is usually something that is like, that's a way to let everyone know that the character is evil. And you bring up you bring it up you bring up cruel intentions which I think is exactly on point, right? Which is the the and the the shot I'm thinking of is Sarah Michelle Gellar giving the blowjob in the car, you know, because she wanted to get in good with the football player or something like that. And it was like, you know, sacrifices were made, great sacrifices in order to attain this social position. And this is how you know that she's evil, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, then, and, exactly. Then, and you, you point out that the arc of the Ryan Phillippe character is, uh, is from, you know, uh, sex as power to, you know, sex as kind of as romance. Sex mm-hmm. as like uh, Counting Crows song, if you will. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but, uh, I, hope, I hope that that becomes a meme. <laughs> <laughs> I am colorblind. Uh, so, you know, okay, so, so Rachel doesn't make the cut. Finn doesn't make the cut. And Emma, in a way, doesn't make the cut. I, you know, I don't know. I, I read Emma's reluctance a little differently. Uh, than you, I, I think she really does want to do it with with Shu, but is held back by her own 
um, uh, by her own OCD or whatever. And the the idea of her wanting to have sex is is more like I you know I want to conquer my own conquer my own fears so that. You know what I mean, so that I can do the thing I've al- I've always wanted to do. It's not like it's not like the fear conquering is paramount, and so it it could be it could be any object. It could be sort of any sexual object. It has to be him. You know, he's the only one worth conquering the fears for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't know though. I mean, huh. I I think that that is what I would like the character's motivation to be, but I, I kind of think that it's sort of. The, the way that she goes up to him and, and says, like, very businesslike, uh, look, this is this is what's going to happen. I'm going to meet you at your house at this time. And, you know, and then she asks, what do you think about that? Not that it matters. Which is sort of like, look, you are you are purely a uh, an inanimate object here. It's actually uh, kind of kind of a horrible thing for her to say. Imagine it reversed. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it, it's not really all right to say that. But then, like within the context of the narrative, right? You, uh, it, it's hard to get too worked up about it. Well, yeah, it, it is because these are characters with histories, and I mean, this, yeah. is, this is the thing. Like, not to get all all Sartre and existentialism on you, but we're always. I mean, people are always people in situation. You know what I mean? And that that moral decisions like this aren't made aren't made in a vacu- vacuum and sort of. Uh, uh, measurable against an objective standard, which is also in, in a vacuum. It's you know this this is a character we know, and and mm-hmm. this kind of this thing is is it happens in the context of what of what we know about her, we, you know, which is that like uh, which is that she's probably wanted to do this forever and just hasn't. Um, you know, sort of hasn't been able to. But, you know, yeah. point, point taken about, uh, you know, it's represented as, as sort of a, a, a business-like, almost a business-like transaction between, like, you know, like, it, 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 the proceedings will begin promptly at 7.30, I think right. she says. Right, right. And, and that's the, the thing that, uh, I mean, much as I loved the sequence, what bothers me is that, although they never say it, the fact that it's so business-like presumes that, you know, they're thinking about birth control, Right. And they're they're thinking right. about like uh, all, all the other the things that you have to think about if you're going to run around being sexually active, and that's sort of set up as not proper sex. Like either either you don't get to have sex at all in that scenario, sixty sixty six percent of the time, or thirty three percent of the time you get to have sex and it's really not a pleasant experience. And if I'm right, and down the road we end up seeing like the Hollywood sex where they're just swept up in the moment, and that's what allows Emma to finally you know get over her neuroses is that she's not planning it out in advance. Uh, then that, that's really kind of problematic, I think, if we look at the, the thing as a, a lesson to those who are watching it in addition to just an entertainment. Sure. Well, yeah, it's... Um, we've, we've said, Ryan and I have said before that in the way that Gossip Girl is a show about power, Glee is a show about irrationality. And that, uh, and that um, there's a kind of behavioral economics aspect to it where, where decisions are not made from a... a uh, coherent position on, uh, <laughs> you know, on the issues from like a, co- a, a coherent worldview or, or moral view, uh, but are rather made kind of based on a lot of, um, uh, a lot of evidence that turns out not to be true or at least to be inaccurately interpreted. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah, that this, yeah. I think that this is an, I think that this is an example of that with Emma where like circumstances conspire 
you know, to make this seem like to make this seem like the right thing to do. That is to say, what I'm suggesting is that characters in Glee are sort of always always swept up in the moment and don't really mm-hmm. have a coherent project that goes from uh, that goes from episode to episode except for the the big narrative thrust of the show which is to you know win win nationals i guess sure right i mean to, to be the best glee club you can possibly be right but even that i mean you're, you're totally right that although that's the the big narrative thrust it's almost kind of a informed narrative thrust because they don't spend any time doing things that would really advance that goal Right. Like if you really wanted to do that, you would get nine or ten songs that you would practice into the ground. Right. Rather than being like, listen, every member of the Glee Club, your assignment is to pick some random song and teach it to every other member of the Glee Club every week. You know, this is the fallacy of the training montage a little bit that we, you know, we never see people who actually do make music spend hours and hours, grueling hours and hours practicing. And if you add, you know, dancing onto that, there's another four hours a day and then another two hours at the gym. You, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? This is, um, uh, it's sort of the American Idol fallacy also that everyone can just kind of wail, you know? Yeah. And it's, uh, and like not just the training montage, but the um, particularly like the '80s sports movie where you've also got your team evil, right? Team evil being from Shaolin Soccer, where right. they were literally called Team Evil. But you're Ivan Drago, you're your Cobra Kai, yeah. Which is like you look at New Directions in terms of being a nationally ranked Glee club, like they're doing it right, you know? Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. They're they're. Uh... Yeah, they they got the formula figured out. They got Adita Menzel saying, you know, that's terrible. You know, everyone take a break. Have a Red Bull. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, and then practice really, really hard. Or Sue Sylvester, again, like, you get the feeling that when when they decide to do a new chair routine, it is not a trivial thing. And then she works it into the ground and, like, terrorizes them, basically, until they become excellent. And honestly, like... I think that there may be a place for that within high school, having like a, an extracurricular activity that's way too intense that gives the students a feeling that they can, through grueling hard work, do something worthwhile with their lives. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah? And it's a great it, – I think you're totally right. And it's a great corrective to the, you know, uh, all you have to do is dream it um, mm-hmm. idea that, that permeates the uh, – you know, that, that permeates the culture. Yeah, but at the same time, Glee, which is very much a, all you have to do is a dream it kind of show, right? Uh, is tremendously fun to watch. Well, because... that the, yeah. <laughs> well, that that like there there are two paradigms, right? There's the the Cobra Kai paradigm, right? That um, uh, that Sue practices, and then there's the then there's the kind of kinder, gentler. Um, kinder, gentler paradigm. And, you know, it's, it's sort of wish fulfillment because if you've ever known anyone who is really serious about an extracurricular pursuit or hell, even a curricular pursuit, right? The nerds Mm -hmm. read books eight hours a day, right? But if you're, you know, if you're a football player, you know, you're training or if you're a a gymnast, you're in the gym, you know, doing, I don't know what, double back tucks or, you know, whatever. If you're an ice skater, you're, you know, and that these, these things are, are, are things that kind of push, um, uh, that pushed teenagers especially out of balance. I mean, you read this was an Olympic year, a winter Olympic year, and so you were reading in the mainstream press all these stories about, you know, I don't know, Lindsey Vaughn, right, like quitting high school or or only do it like being coming an emancipated minor. Or so, well, I forget if that was her, or if that was someone else, but like you know, these these kind of things that taken in isolation you would consider extremely unhealthy, mm-hmm. uh, in order. Um, 
in order to attain, uh, you know, to attain great things. And yeah, I mean, I agree. There probably is a, um, there probably is a role for that in, in high school for everyone to have like one really tough coach who, uh, who pushes you, but who pushes you to excel or, uh, in order to, to have a, a, a Wolfgang Mozart, you need a Leopold Mozart. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That like, <laughs> the, the people with with the wonderful parents don't usually show up in the history books. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. The parent, the parents who think that that you're a you're a wonderful, unique snowflake just as you are, without any effort. You know, without any effort on your behalf. Yeah, and like, and probably like. I don't know, this is ranging far afield from the universe depicted in the show, but, like, you'd want a happy medium, right? Where, like, people are both self-actualized and driven. Um, and, and that's something that, like, you never really see, right? Uh, either you only have the, the kind of this Manichaean dualism that you've got going on, where, like, either you're the Cheerios or you're the Glee Club, and good will conquer evil. Yeah, well, it's, it, you know, it's melodrama. And, yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, and that's, that's okay. Um, yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess ideally, like in a fully sort of individuated personality, you'd you'd want a person who can, uh, who is capable of making a choice about what they pursue single mindedly and what they just kind of let let slip through the cracks. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so in the comments on your post, um, the show came in for kind of a drubbing because of the the Madonna. Because of the Madonna thing, uh, because it it was it was kind of artificial that they were you know that they were all Madonna songs, and you you know you point out the kind of dramatic insufficiency of Sue being suddenly obsessed with with Madonna, though it I mean and yes we, though we haven't seen evidence of it before, it doesn't strike me as totally off the reservation, you know. The only reason that it uh, that it bothered me is that I kind of liked the idea of her being um, this uh, being an ego that has no uh, no source in yeah, almost so, sort of a like uh, sure. a, a, an Oedipal sense, right? That like she has no no father to her style. She's like old dirty bastard in she, that sense. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, so, or she's um, a free artist of herself. Right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Or a, or a Wagnerian free hero or whatever you like, whichever version of that you want to do. And actually, you know what? They kind of go back to that at the end when she sort of says, like, you know what? I don't need to copy Madonna because I'm awesome just the way I am. Right. Like, <laughs> which, that's sort of what I what I want the character to always be. Her even, like, thinking about it for a minute is to me disappointing, not because I think that it's bad writing, but just sort of the image of the character that I had in my head is, like, is better than that somehow. Yeah. Well, and it's, yeah, and I think, I, I think it's a weakness, too, to think that we have to, like, motivate the Madonna episode, you know, that we have to kind of bend over backwards to get a reason uh you know this is because this is glee this is a universe in day glow colors where things just Mm -hmm. effing happen oh wait no wrong podcast where things just motherfucking happen and the uh, how much more satisfying would it have been if she goes into figgins and zosses and says like from now on we're going to be playing madonna over the stereo like at top volume all day every day and figgins says why and she says because that's how it happens you know (laughs) (laughs) you you lost your right to say why when you let me take a picture of you naked (laughs) yeah (laughs) right exactly well yeah exactly but you know okay but for the for the idea in in general of the gimmick episode uh, I think it's of a piece, which is what the commenters were kind of um, going going on uh, mm-hmm. about. 
I think it's of a piece with Glee, which participates like Gossip Girl in a kind of what Ryan and I called cognitive agenda setting, where uh, very early in the episode, um, a uh, very early in the episode, a criterion is is proffered by which actions in that episode will be judged. You know, oddly enough, I feel like maybe the the source text for this in TV is Scrubs, not a show that we talk about a whole heck of a lot, but definitely one where like they're gonna there's always gonna be three narratives based around one theme, such as like trust or mentorship or being true to yourself or makeovers or whatever it might be, right. and then at the end they're unified in a voiceover. The way it seems to play out uh, in Gossip Girl and in Glee is that they kind of like they give you a little exordium at the beginning where they're like Madonna let's talk about Madonna this week and then you see how all of like it, it spins out into the various directions it's going to be taken right yeah totally and it's in Glee very often it's an aesthetic uh Agenda. That is to say, it's, you know, let's have songs with hello in the title or let's, you know what I mean? Let's do, uh, let's do Madonna, um, let's do Madonna numbers. Something let's like do that. mashups. Let's do ballads, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so that this is, you know, that yes, it's, it is sort of crass as far as the, the commercial aspect of it goes, because like, you know, I, I'm sure it's, I haven't checked, but I'm sure the, the soundtrack album, which was available online the very second the episode came down on the East coast, right? Like if not before, you know, was, uh, I'm just probably doing really well on iTunes and, and, you know, God knows the material girl herself is, is, um, uh, collecting royalties and things like this, but it's of a piece with a show that says, uh, we have theme weeks, you know, mm-hmm. and, and every, every week is a, uh, every, you know, every week is a theme week and they're not necessarily connected to anything. I mean, it goes back to this kind of sense of irrationality. Like, you know, you, you get up a bug up your ass to, to do something like work out, you know, mm-hmm. you get a bug up your ass to work out. And so you work out for a week. The worst time, if you're a regular gym goer, uh, back when I was a regular gym goer, the worst <laughs> time to, uh, go to the gym was right after new year's, you know, mm-hmm. by mid February, it had emptied out and you could get in your routine, even at, even at prime time, even at like, you know, immediately pre-dinner. But, yeah, uh, but like J- January 13th, you're like, what are all these fat people doing on my elliptical machine? Exactly. <laughs> on my damn elliptical trainer. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. We could, we could talk about like uh, the, the <laughs> authentic gym going versus inauthentic gym going, right? Yeah. Well, this is, I mean, you know, it's, it's a... Um, yeah, it's a contest about legitimacy, I guess. Who you know, who legitimately uh who legitimately belongs at the gym. Okay, so let's talk about this. Finn so Finn feels bad about uh having sex sex with Santana. Um I think in the in the postcoital scene that we get, he's just kind of sitting there stunned, uh, stunned less by what happened than by what didn't happen. Like the earth yeah. didn't move. Exactly, know? exactly. By like by how little it kind of meant. Um, and it's, I mean, it's, it's really funny when you look at the way that he and Rachel lie to each other is she doesn't say like, oh, it was magical. She says, oh, it, like it really, it was kind of meaningless. You know, like it, what she pretends happened yeah. is what actually did happen to him. Um, yeah, I don't and, see and that, what, I don't <laughs> see what the big, I don't see what the big deal was. She says yeah. when it was done and he says that he didn't, he didn't do it so that they are. In in a way, that is kind of a, a subversion of gender expectations, where where she is doing kind of the dude thing and like, oh, sex is no big deal, and he's doing mm-hmm. the girl thing and like, you know, oh, we couldn't, I couldn't go through with it. 
Yeah, which is, I mean, it's a pretty stupid lie to tell because why he thinks Santana isn't <laughs> like word is not going to get around. Yeah, exactly. Is, is, uh, but but it's still a very interesting moment. Um, and like, you know, one thing I really liked about that scene is that there was kind of a problem in the first episode of this season where they had to think of a reason for Finn and Rachel to no longer be together. And I feel like having them both lie to each other about this is like, that's a really legitimate reason for them to be awkward. And sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, okay. So in these three, in these three couples, you know, Will and Emma are the couple who are sort of meant to be together. Uh, and Rachel and Finn are the couple who are meant to be together. And, and, uh, right, they're not. Um, one of them aren't together, and the other one doesn't end up together. Does that, do, you know, what I mean? Does that make sense? That mm-hmm. there's a, there's a difference between the pair of couples in uh, Finn Santana and Rachel Jesse, uh, mm-hmm. and then the couple of um, of Emma Mister Shoe. I'm I'm kind of pulling this out of my ass. I don't know. I don't know what it means yet. But that like that the couple who who the couple that's sharing a bed really does belong together, but they don't manage to do it. And then, and then the couple who split up, uh, one does manage to do it, and the other, the other doesn't manage to do it. Right, right. And I think that a part of that is just um, from the point of view of writing a serial drama, where you've got to, you've got to save your big dramatic beats for later. Like if you have Emma and Mr. Shu have sex, then then that's gone, right? And there's no season finale. Yeah, there, there's no there's no unresolved sexual tension between them, and that's that's no good. Um, but it, but it's okay with with the other two um, to. Oh, really, really cool thing about that sequence that I meant to meant to bring up more, um, and you just remind me of it now because of the way that all six people in this three way sex scene are singing, even though Rachel and Finn are not sleeping together not even like you know in the same room as each other they are singing a duet with each other at one point and that i think is that's really kind of interesting because it gets into something else that i was talking about um in the in the post which is that the sort of the genius of this particular little sequence is that it shows you losing your virginity is not something that you do with one person right in that you are losing your virginity capitalize all those letters like you are uh, committing a ritual action right. that lots and lots of other people are doing. Yeah, you know, it's the same as like as marching in a parade in a sense, except that you do it uh, by pairs down separate streets. Sure, I don't and know. That, <laughs> and that, like in in a way, like we can kind of take we can take um, we can take uh, to task a mentality that uh, sees uh, uh, deflowering, uh, uh, defloration as a you know, as a, as a social good or as a social rite of passage, but in mm-hmm. a way it is a social rite of passage because everyone has to do it and you have to do it in order to have society. Like in order to perpetuate society, you can't stay a virgin forever, you know, cause you, you have to reproduce. And so it, it you know, it, it, it is this thing. And this is, I mean, this is a point that you've made before and that I wonder that you've made before in print. And I wonder if you would make on the podcast, uh, again, about sort of the, the, a, a permeable boundary between public and private as as regards glee mm-hmm. right as, as kind of regards specifically uh, i mean in this in this case i'm talking about the sex on glee but usually uh, as is my want i'm talking about the music on glee yeah and i what i think 
the reason that Glee works as a musical TV show, where every other attempt to do a musical TV show has, has always failed, is, I think, the fact that they take pop hits and have those be the songs that people are singing. They, they, don't, uh, they don't bother trying to like, write new music it's for you not, to listen yeah, to. Yeah, it's not like cop rock or something. Yeah, uh, it's not like the, the failed Hugh Jackman musical TV show that had two episodes or whatever it was. It's, um, it's something where they're, they're doing songs that everyone in their audience already knows and probably already loves. Um, and that taps into something really powerful about kind of the way that we all experience popular music. Uh, in that it, in that it is sort of generically considered popular music, it is both something that is private to you and public to a giant mass of people. And the, I mean, the, the, and there's something really fascinating about this. Like you can sort of think of counterfactuals. Imagine if you if you know uh, Madonna and she writes a dance song and she says, "This is this is my gift from me to you," and you're the only one who ever gets to listen to it. That's not how popular music works, right? No, like, that would not right. be popular music. Um, and yet, when you go and you listen to something like uh, like, like a version, you know, um, it, when it's really working, you feel like it is something about your experience. Yeah, sure. And, and that it speaks, yeah, that it speaks directly to you uh, in a way. And although we don't like, we don't tend to think about it any more than that. We just say, "Oh, you know, uh, Madonna really gets what it feels like to be awkward and considering losing your virginity." Um, although that's, well, that's probably not really what the song is about. No, that's not, no, 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 that's not the song. It's the the song is though I am not a virgin, mm-hmm. you make me uh, feel like I am. Sure, sure. Um, uh, that was another thing that's interesting about it, is that it's like it seems like the right song. It's actually totally the wrong song. Sure, right? But, yeah. But even that is fine because we don't necessarily – what Madonna actually meant by it and what you choose Madonna to have meant by it, right? Those don't need to connect. Like I know a lot of people who – when I was in high school, like Nirvana was pretty big, right? Yeah. And I know a lot of people who thought that Kurt Cobain understood their pain. Yeah. I was one of them, right? And like actually, no, Kurt Cobain didn't understand my pain. What I thought of as pain is probably not something that would have registered to him as pain. Yeah, it turns he, out – you know, um, like he, he had much, much deeper issues, but I still thought he was talking directly to me. Um, and I think that this is sort of a lot of the stuff that we think of as private. When we listen to a pop song and sort of experience the artist experiencing our emotion, our private emotion, we're not really experiencing the artist doing it. We're kind of experiencing the bulk of the culture feeling that same thing. So it kind of it puts my desire to lose my virginity, say, into the context of the desire of thousands of other people to lose their virginity, or my, like, my angst into the context of thousands of other people's angsts. And this is like, you know, this is part of how we, we kind of socialize ourselves, not just as teenagers, like it's a process you go through and eventually you're done with it. But I think it's like, it's a recurring thing on a day-to-day basis. We kind of have to re reaffirm our taking part in society as like emotional beings. And pop music is, I don't know, in our particular society right now is one of the main ways that we do it, I think. Yeah, well, we don't have, you know, by and large, you know, Avatar notwithstanding, we don't have it in uh, film or TV drama. I mean, that is, entertainment is is fragmenting to such an extent uh, Mm -hmm. that I think pop music is one of the only things that's left. And even that is not left. You know, we don't have stars these days on the order of Michael Jackson and Madonna. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. But uh, but can't you 
you you still socialize yourself just to a smaller society, right? Like you uh, you you find your little group of fans. Yeah, sure. Or that right, exactly. Like this I mean this is one of the things that the internet enables is these kind of smaller, you know, tribe-like structures that are geographically dispersed but united by uh, a common interest or a common disposition of some kind. Um yeah. the, hi podcast listeners. <laughs> <laughs> what's going on, overthinkers? Um yeah, uh, that that these things um, that these things can come together. Actually, overthinking it is not a, not, not to talk about ourselves all the time because we get dinged for that sometimes. <laughs> oh, go on. By people, <laughs> um, we're actually a really interesting example of that because you know uh, all we have listeners and readers all over the Anglophone world and into non English speaking countries in uh, you know in Europe especially. So we're um, you know we, we're we're definitely filling that you know, that role. Uh, I, I am shocked that our weird little sensibility finds an audience and it, you know, it will never find a mass audience cause it's not a mass sensibility, but like, yeah, this is, you know, this is exactly what happens. Now you, you had written about this. You can find, um, Jordan's writing about, uh, about glee on overthinking it.com. Um, so, uh, and, and there are a couple articles that, that are, that are really good. Um, I don't mean uh, the others aren't good. I mean uh, there are there are a couple articles about Glee, all of which are really good. Yeah. Well, so, you know, some are some are better than others. That's the but nature the, of the beats, the, right? Um, like there has to be a second place. There's one where you uh, there's one where you do a close reading of um, Take a Bow. Uh, mm-hmm. of the take about thing very early in uh, very in a very early episode where there are there are certain fantasy there are certain fantasy sequences intercut with what you imagine is a reality sequence and uh, parsing out which is which is uh, is the work of the article and you know you um uh, uh, and you come to some conclusions which I leave it for the readers to discover but that you know that one features things like um sort of uh that one that one features sort of fantasies of of romantic entanglements but it also features shots of Rachel like holding her hairbrush and singing singing to the mirror which right is as close to a universal personal pop experience as you can imagine yeah yeah absolutely and it's uh and it, it just it rings what what's so great about that sequence is the parts of it that ring so false because they're so clearly dream sequences, yeah. and the parts that ring so true, and they're just mashed all together. Yeah, pain, you know? well, right, right, exactly. Yeah, I guess in in a Glee thing, you do go, um, you do kind of run up and down all the levels of uh, representation from like totally fantastical to you know representational and realistic. Yeah, yeah. Which is one of one of the great things about here's, the show. Here's something I love about it, though. They always make sure that there's a diegetic source for the music, whether it's that bearded accompanist guy, yeah. or you know, who always seems to be there. And that guy is actually, I think, a real accompanist and like musical director. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's I mean, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, or the the band full of you know the band full of kids. We saw Finn play some drums in the uh, in the uh, the Madonna episode. Right, right. There was there was a great moment. Um, I feel like someone was complaining about it in the comments, and I was like, "What? This is the this is so great." Where like uh, Rachel and uh, and her evil new boyfriend are like singing to each other in the library, and not only does no one shush them, but like the jazz band is there in the library yeah. playing. You yeah, know? of course. <laughs> that yeah, was that fantastic. was in the uh, that was in their their meet their their meet cute uh, in the the last episode. The, oh, okay, right, right. The first one of the second run that's um that's now on. Um, 
uh, yeah, and so okay, so then the last thing maybe that we can we can kind of close on is that you 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 sort of you talk about how it's it, we're kind of awkward getting back onto our feet into this second sweep of episodes. I'm not sure whether to call it a second season or a continuation of the first season. Like they didn't know whether they were going to do a you know an abbreviated 13 episode or a full you know 22 episode season. That is to say, whether it was going to be on the new Sopranos model of like a, of a you know, three month run or on the old TV model of a year run. And the show has turned into such a hit that Fox ordered, uh, you know, the back nine episodes um, that they're doing now. And that this gets to, I think, a, a distinction that you pointed out in the very early days of um, overthinking it about the difference between storytelling and keeping a serial drama going, you know, mm-hmm. and that there, there are times when in order to keep the, the serial going, you got to shoehorn a lot of stuff. You, you have to kind of put some awkward pressure on the drama. And I think that that's, you know, I think that that's what we're seeing here, like getting Sue back, you know, with no real, uh, no real re- repercussions to her, seemingly very, you know, very authoritative defeat um, in the, in the 13th episode. Right. 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 It's uh it's definitely a little bit difficult. Although, I mean, kind of the nice thing for Glee, as opposed to something like lost, right. If that happened in lost, that would be unforgivable. I feel like that happened on the wire, right. People would riot, but with Glee, because as you say, there's always this kind of, you know, this lack of rationality to everyone's motivations, it almost begins to to blend into the background noise. Like, clearly, it doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense for Figgins to be like, all right, you know, it's you, come on back. But it doesn't make sense for him to do anything that he does. Right. So it's easier to accept. Well, and that's, I mean, I, I got to say, I think that lines up with a certain you know, a certain reality of the kind of objective experience of watching other people, which is that they do shit that doesn't make sense, you know? Yeah. And that their their conception... I mean, we talk about, uh, on these fucking teenagers, we talk about the stability of identity a lot, mm-hmm. or how, how identity is constructed socially, performatively, uh, through this kind of cognitive ide- agenda setting. You know, what does it mean to be true to yourself if there isn't a self to be true to? And what does the mm-hmm. trueness... Uh, you know, what exactly does the trueness comprise if, um, uh, you know, in a, in a, in a world where, uh, in a world where the self is, <laughs> yeah, it is contingent is... and socially constituted. Yeah, right. right exactly. <laughs> Only one man can be several men at the same time. <laughs> Only one man can have no qualities. <laughs> this summer, Chuck Bass is Chuck Bass in Gossip Girl. Um, you know, but uh, but I think sort of looking at people, I think the idea that we and now I'm kind of zooming out to to real life, which may be a mistake, but I'm doing it. I'm doing yeah. it. You can't stop me. I'm going there. Go for it. Go for it. You, you may not have good reasons, but you're going to do it anyway. Right? <laughs> I think the idea that that the self and that one's own ideas about oneself and that one's own project, as far as you know, morality or philosophy or you know, um, goals, ambitions go. The, the idea that these things are coherent, that they that they sort of proceed from first principles in a in a logical way. Uh, you know, I think this is bullshit. You know, and that that glee. The, the reason that the 
the kind of narrative continuity doesn't matter, the thing that, that Belinky kept taking it to task for is that, you know, it, it, it's a show about, it's a show about fantasy in a way, right? Like it's a show mm-hmm. about, um, it, it's a show about where your mind goes when you listen to pop music, you know, if you really sort of give over to it, you know, it, it or, um, uh, you know, it's a show about, it, um, uh, it's a show about whim, you know, mm-hmm. and, then, yeah. and that like, uh, and, and in that, the, the sort of the, the air quotes, sloppy narrative style is of a piece with the, with the material being represented. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And honestly, you know, when you say that it's a little bit sloppy getting back on its feet, none of the narrative sloppiness has bothered me all that much. I feel like these past two episodes, the aesthetics have actually been slightly sloppy. Huh. Like, there there have been some really amazing, amazing moments. There always are. Like, I mean, the, the crazy sex montage. That was great. I could watch that over and over again. Sure. The, uh, the thing, the cheer routine with, uh, with Kurt. With Stilts and the one with uh, with Kurt and Mercedes singing oh, yeah. at the end, those were really great. But I feel like there have been a few too many songs where they're just kind of oh, performances. Oh, let me, throw in, let me throw in another one. The yeah. uh, the um, mashup, the Madonna mashup of uh, oh, I forget what it was, "Get Into the Groove" or something. It's some old song where, as you were tracking through the halls, or I guess you didn't see track and they were shooting backwards, so you were like steady camming through the halls. The mm. um, uh, Madonna from every era of Madonna's career appeared yeah. in the background, kind of wandering in and out. That was brilliant. Yeah, that was, that was pretty cute. Um, but yeah, sorry, but sorry there, there have been a few too many. And I think, um, what was the song that they did when they first decided they were going to do Madonna songs? And so all the girls sing together. And the guys are kind of sitting there and watching them, not so impressed. Express yourself. It's don't yeah. go, don't go for second best baby. Make him express how he feels, etc. Right, right, right. Like that one to me, there wasn't enough at stake in in the like in the editing and in the choreography, and sure. also crucially, I think for this show because this is where it usually shines so much. There wasn't really anything at stake in like what was motivating this song. The only reason you, you got the feeling like okay, they are now singing, and the reason why the camera is doing some things that are kind of hard to understand is because that's more interesting to watch than if it doesn't. Sure. Whereas if you go to that one um, that you just talked about, where it's it's open my, open your heart to me and the other thing mashed up, that is really about. Rachel and Finn singing a love song to each other and kind of as they sing, they get drawn out of the space of being in the Glee Club room and doing it just because it's music and it becomes a real romance and they go all around the school and then it sort of it reverses itself and you end up and they're back in the room again and they're kind of staring at each other and they're like, oh, wait a minute, this was just a song. You know, it's like that's what they should be doing with every song if they can. And like, I'm not going to get too, too mad at them if they don't manage to do it for every single song. But I feel like these last two episodes, the ratio has been skewed a little bit away from that kind of thing. Sure. You know, so. All right. Well, uh, that's, that's uh, this episode. If you want to join the conversation, you can email us at podcast at overthinkingit.com or call the podcast voicemail at 20 fat jog zero one. That's two zero three two eight five six four zero one. Actually, I wanted to ask you if you if you have one more minute. I had oh, a yeah, question sure. about something that you uh, you said earlier. When you're saying that, like, what is identity if uh, if there's no self to be true to, right? Yeah. How does uh, how does Rachel's obviously evil new boyfriend play into that? Somebody who's like the character is clearly wearing a mask, 
Like, th- th- does that concept even make sense in this show? Or? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think it does make sense because there are certain um, uh, super personal entities like glee clubs, you know, that, that, can, that can sort of uh, engage in – that is to say there are nation states, you know, that can, <laughs> that can sort of engage in conflict with one another or that you can you can kind of like you can sort of take the sum you can take the aggregate interest of everyone in one glee club and and someone is trying to uh someone is working you know uh working against that but it's um you know the idea that this guy is is even a a a contradiction like i'll bet there's you know this being a soap opera like i'll bet there's some there's some plot line coming down where like, uh, you know, Rachel, originally it was about, you know, defeating your glee club and, and uh, wicked Adina Menzel, uh, (laughs) right. Though she's not wearing her green body paint, uh, from wicked, you know, she's still very evil and she sent me here, but since then I've fallen in love with you. Yeah. yeah. Falling in love with you was never part of the plan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) That, that like, so, you know, so suddenly there are all these tensions, you know, you know what I mean? Suddenly there are all these tensions and do we believe that even Mm -hmm. at all? Mm -hmm. And, and, um, you know, and, and things like this, the, um, I, I, you see, I think like a, a, a less stable, Here's the thing. I mean, I, you know, here's the thing. I once went to a talk uh, in school by Stanley Fish, and he's one of these there is no truth post-structuralists, mm-hmm. you know, or or rather his position is more nuanced and actually I think a lot more easily defensible. Um, uh, he says there may or may not be a truth. Uh, we just don't have the means to know it. Yeah. And, well, and, and, and then, he, then he says that, so what you do is you pick a very small oligarchy and allow them to determine what the truth will be, right? Yeah, well, he talks, <laughs> he talks, about, he talks about interpretive communities, you know, yeah, you know yeah. and that, that like, uh, yeah, you know, that, that you sort of, you get in a group of like-minded people or you develop like-mindedness to a group of people or a group of people spontaneously develops like, like-mindedness together. And that, you know, that... Um, uh, that group gets to set the the parameters for for interpretation, and that that this is you know um, there are all kinds of political considerations to this. But so anyway, so um, he was being debated by one of the old one of the old new critics of the the Yale English department, right? Who like who could barely stop wrinkling his nose. He could he could not <laughs> contain his his disgust. And you know the, the question came up then: How do we you know it, like like how do we live life you know you can't you can't um you can't if you can't have truth like you can't really have anything you can't have a cup of coffee in the morning you know mm-hmm. and and fish's answer and you know he was kind of being a dick because he kind of is a dick but <laughs> uh like um his answer was look you just do <laughs> You know, and right, and like, right. though that may not be totally responsible scholarship, it <laughs> it is true. I think that like we we you know we manage a lot of contradictions, and we we um, we get by. We manage to get by, and and the way you do it is you just do it. You know, yeah. so like um, so to say, like my my 
my answer originally was going to be try to defend the theory, which is that, look, you know, sort of a, uh, a, a multivocal identity uh, doesn't preclude the um, possibility of deception. In fact, it turns everything into deception. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, self-deception foremost among the, the varieties of deception. But I think that, like, you know, uh, the, if the self is, is, uh, is sort of socially constituted and multivocal and fragmented, um, you, you still have to get through the day somehow. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, know, you know what I mean? And, and like, the idea, of, the idea of intentionality not being... Um, uh, you know, not being a huge arc that unfolds deductively from, you know, from first principles is different from saying that you don't have aims at it or think you have aims at a given time and place. Sure, sure. And maybe the way that this translates into Glee is that as much as we can say, well, really, it's about the aesthetics and it's about like uh, sheer excess of melodrama or of song or of like snappy jokes or whatever, like you need to have some kind of plot to hang it on at the end of the day. So therefore, Rachel gets a boyfriend who's clearly a, a, a traitor in disguise, right? Yeah. And like, like you, you, you know, it, it's kind of an obligatory element of, uh, of TV writing. I agree. All hey, right. We thought it was going to be a short episode. We ended up going on for the full, for the full hour. Yeah. Uh, I'll do the outro very quickly. You heard the, the email address. It's, it's podcast at overthinkingit.com. The, uh, the voicemail is 203-285-6401. If you have thoughts about the Madonna episode of Glee, uh, Gossip Girl returns next week. I think Glee is, is on next week. Uh, Ryan is coming back from his... Um, uh, from his conference, but I, you know, I hope you will consider it an open invitation to come on when you care to, whenever you have anything you want to say uh, about Glee or Gossip Girl. If you watch it, I know you don't watch it as much as you watch Glee. I've never, I've never actually seen Gossip Girl, but I, I do keep up with it. You know, I, I read, I read the the after action report that you guys provide. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, it's TFT Podcast on the Twitters. That's Twitter dot com slash TFT podcast and until next week uh, open your heart to me why should you do it well you should do it for your performatively constructed identity you should do it for the crazy awesome sex montage but more than anything else you should do it for these fucking teenagers probably doesn't deserve wait I messed that up